All right, good morning. <laughs> Three people said good morning. Awesome. I know, it's, I'm just supposed to say that, right? And you don't have to say anything. It's, it's purely rhetorical. Crummy morning, how's that? Lousy morning to you. Happy morning. I'm looking at Felix. You can't wish Felix un unhappy anything. Felix's name means happy, so what do we say? It is, it, it does, so. Um, let me ask you a question. So uh, I think you'll notice in the next several weeks, uh, I'm gonna be taking things a little bit different direction in terms of how I preach to you. I'm gonna get back to my style of preaching, which is talking to you rather than talking through notes and getting you to write notes down. Because what I've noticed is with our congregation, many of you are bulletin averse, right? You have a bulletin aversion. You don't want a bulletin. A lot of you are like, uh, when I was a youth minister back in the day, uh, I remember we would have Wednesday small groups and, you know, I would have all sorts of opportunities for them to write things down or whatever. And these teenagers were coming back to me and saying, you know, that just feels too much like school. We don't want to do that, right? I think that's you. I think that you are those teenagers who grew up. And so uh, we, we don't want to do that. So you know what? You don't have to, right? Now, if you've got a phone and, you know, you want to take notes, then I think that's a good opportunity for you to remember what you were taught. But my, uh, my purpose and the style that I'm going to uh, pursue is going to be a bit different. So let's back all the way up before I get into the text. And we're going to still be in the holy history. And we're going to be looking at that because uh, I think that that's the direction the Lord's led me. But I was thinking about this earlier as I'm watching everybody walk in. We kind of get used to church, don't we? Our version of it. All right. So when we come in, yep, there we go. She's got it. It's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. Let me ask you a question. We call the music portion of this the worship. Okay. Who is that for? Is it for you? It is not. Who is worship for? Yeah, God, Jesus, that's right. So that means I, see the band comes up here and practices uh, on most Mondays and every Sunday. And so if it was just a matter of the band playing and offering the Lord worship, you don't have to be here, do you? Oh, so what needs to happen for worship to occur in this room? Worship. We need to worship. Yeah, you've got to actually worship. You've got to actually participate. You've got to do something. Sitting there on your phone, kids, that's not worship, man. You're not worshiping. So, yeah. We're just taking up space. We're taking up time. Now, the preaching part of the service, who is that for? It's for you. This right here. This is God's word, right? Who is this for? That's right. So understand what this is about. Now, in both parts of the service, the musical part, the singing part, uh, the part where you participate in that regard, um, or really anything where you are giving back, that's for the Lord. But when I'm teaching, when I'm preaching, when Pastor Craig is teaching or preaching, that's for you. We're trying to equip you to be saints. And some of you are coming, but you're resistant to that equipping. And I want to help to uh, motivate you to get equipped to be the saint that God has called you to be. Okay? So let's jump back into this. 
Um, we've been in the holy history since some weeks before Passover. And holy history is basically just God's interaction primarily at first with Israel. And the Apostle Paul said these things happened to them as examples for who? There we go. As examples for us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So when you read this, you just you answered the question. You said, yeah, this is for us. So when you read this, do you read it to get a word from God for you? Or are you just looking at another history lesson? See, when I read this, I'm looking for God to say something to me. And once I receive that word, then I'm responsible to respond to that word. It's absolutely imperative that I do, because when I don't respond to God's word, my heart becomes hard, just like Pharaoh's heart did. You remember Pharaoh? Remember the, the story where we talked about uh, Moses coming to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go? And each time Pharaoh would harden his heart and say no, harden his heart and say no, harden his heart and say no, until the scripture says, by about the fourth time Moses approaches Pharaoh with another plague and says, let my people go, then it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. My friend, I think the very prospect of God hardens some people's hearts. One of the things that is dangerous for us is to have heard this and heard this and heard this and to have done nothing about it. So I strongly encourage you to get into the word on a daily basis. But more than that, don't just read it and say, well, I don't know what that means. Okay. I was watching some uh, program. I don't want to promote stuff because I, not everybody needs to be watching everything and I'm not sure what your habits are like. Not that uh, most of you in this room aren't adults and you can't make up your own minds. But in this particular TV series that I was watching, it's a streaming thing, uh, there's a lady that is goes to her church regularly. And so they periodically show aspects or elements of church. And some of it is, as you would suspect, coming from the left, uh, very disparaging uh, kind of hateful. It, it shines a light on the, the negative sides of church. Now, don't get me wrong. There are negative sides of, of church. There are negative sides of churches. There are very, very harsh and negative church people. But that seems to be all the left wants to show us. And that is part of what I see in this program. But there's this Bible study where these group of women, uh, they're all sitting around in a circle and they read uh, a, honestly, a difficult passage, and I'm not going to get into that either because I don't want to chase that rabbit. But the lady that is the, the, the primary person that we're following, right? It's her Bible study. Um, she's just like really, really confused by that, and she doesn't know, and, and it's, it's, you know, she's having a hard time. It didn't make any sense to her. My friend, this is why I have Pastor Craig pray before I preach every single time, because you and I, when we get into the Word, we need to pray beforehand and ask God to speak to us. Amen. Now, I believe that the Lord has a message for you today. I hope that I can help to convey that message. But one way or the other, if you're here and you are able to hear, and by the way, that is, uh, that's real critical. You gotta pay attention. You gotta be able to pay attention, right? What did Jesus say over and over again when he was teaching? He said, for those who have ears to hear, yeah, let them hear or let them listen. That's, you gotta pay attention. You gotta engage. 
Now, this is what I've been noticing. I, I guess I, I didn't notice it quite so much last week, but definitely on Easter Sunday, is there really, really is, um, I get a good sense that most of you are paying attention most of the time. Not everybody and not all the time, but most of you are paying attention most of the time. But I, what I want to say is, God never speaks just to give you information. He's not talking to you to inform you. Well, just so you'll know, I'm God and this is what I think, but you do what you want. That's not, when God speaks, you are expected to respond. And if you don't, then it's on you. Those consequences are on you. Okay, so with all that uh, bit of introduction, we have gone through the Joseph story. That's where we started. Uh, Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob. Jacob, whose name was changed to what? Israel. That's why they're called the children of Israel. It's called the house of Israel. It's called the nation of Israel because they all come from that one man whose name was originally Jacob. God changed it to Israel, which mean God literally means God prevails. Okay. Um, and that's really the history of the Jewish people is that no matter how much difficulty and tragedy and struggle there was in their lives or through them against God, God has prevailed. God has prevailed again and again and again. The Jewish people are still in existence today. This is a 5,000-year-old people. And they have a continuity of existence going all the way back. How many of you can point to your relatives going back 5,000 years? I can't, right? You know, you can get on one of those sites where you give your DNA. And by the way, I don't advise that. <laughs> Why would you give your DNA? But anyway, I'll leave that to you. You know, and it'll tell you, okay, yeah, you're related to, you know, these people or these people or these people. And, you know, I, I have uh, relatives that I know come from Denmark. I have relatives that I know come from England. I have relatives that I know come from Ireland. And that's pretty much it. And those are nations that go back pretty far, but not like the Jewish people. Not 5,000 years. I can't trace that back, but they can. God prevails. So here's Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. He has a total of 12 sons. His 12th son... Uh, his name is Benjamin, and his wife, Rachel, the one that he really, really wanted to marry, and I won't get into that story, but he ended up marrying two sisters, and one of them was really not what he wanted, but because of how things worked out, he had to marry her too. And uh, so she has more sons than her sister. Initially, her sister, Rachel, the preferred uh, wife, was uh, uh, she couldn't have any kids, and it was very frustrating to her, but eventually she did. And when Rachel had her first son, his name was Joseph. And he became Jacob's favorite because this was the wife that Jacob wanted. And this was her first son. And so he really treated Joseph like you would treat the firstborn, even though he had had many sons prior to that through Leah and through two concubines, well, not well, the, the handmaids that became his concubines. Again, it's all confusing back in that day. But uh, when it gets all the way down to the youngest son, Benjamin, um, his mother, Benjamin's mother, Rachel, died in childbirth. And just before she breathed her last, do you know what she called him? You know what she wanted to name him? Ben-Onai. Ben-Onai, right? son of my struggle or son of trouble. And Jacob changed his name after Rachel passed away to Ben-Yamin, son of my right hand, okay? But in spite of that, his favorite son of 12 was this fellow Joseph, okay? 
So Joseph is a smart aleck, and uh, he's also very smart, and he's also very favored. He's highly favored of the Lord. But he says some things that really, really frustrate and anger his brother. He relates dreams that are legitimate dreams, but he, uh, he's really kind of cocky, like some teenagers can be, and some adults too. And uh, his brothers end up wanting to kill him. Then the oldest brother, Reuben, the actual firstborn, Leah's first son, this is Rachel's sister, the other wife, um, wants to preserve him. And so he says, no, 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 we're, we can't do that. We can't be guilty of our brother's blood. Let's just throw him in this pit right here, which would have been a cistern. And, uh, you know, and, and we'll figure out what to do. So they threw him in the cistern and Reuben's plan was to scoop Jacob out of there and get him back to his father. But what ended up happening is um, they decided to sell him as a slave when they saw some Midianite traders going by. Midianite traders pick up Joseph, take him to Egypt, sell him to a man named Potiphar, who is a servant of Pharaoh, fairly close to Pharaoh's household. And he, although he is a, a slave, um, he's so responsible and it is recognized that the Lord is with him that he is elevated to being in charge of the entire household of Potiphar. And, uh, you know, Potiphar doesn't have to do anything. The scripture says all he had to do was just remember what he had to eat. But then the sad thing happens is Joseph apparently was a good-looking uh, young man, and Potiphar's wife became enamored with him and wanted to become intimate with him. And Joseph said, no, I'm not going to do that. You're another man's wife. And so she got mad and she accused him of things that he didn't do, and he ended up going to jail. And there he stayed for years until finally he got sprung because two of Pharaoh's servants had gone to jail. They had had dreams. Joseph interpreted their dreams. Their dreams turned out as he interpreted. One of them was executed. The other one was restored to Pharaoh. Two years go by. Pharaoh has some dreams, and these dreams are prophetic. They're God communicating to Pharaoh what God is about to do. And so the cupbearer who had been in jail, who Joseph had interpreted his dream, said, oh, you know, I remember my shortcomings today. There was a young Hebrew in jail with me when you put me in jail. And I had a dream, and he interpreted it, and it turned out exactly as he interpreted. So Pharaoh said, go get him. So as I said last week, just like the, uh, the people of Israel were immediately delivered from Egypt when God was ready, Although Joseph stayed in prison for quite a while, three years, maybe longer, he was immediately delivered. As soon as God was ready, bam, he shaved, put on some decent clothes, went, stood before Pharaoh, interpreted the dreams. Long story short, the dreams meant that there were going to be seven years of bumper crops in Egypt. I mean, they're going to really, really bring in the harvest right? They're going to be doing extremely well. They're going to prosper. But that's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And the famine is going to be so bad that they're going to forget all of that prosperity. And then, I love Joseph. I really do. He may, may be definitely my top three, close to my favorite character in all of scripture. He takes a step forward. He's a slave. He's been in jail. And he says, are you ready? So this is what Pharaoh should do. He advises the most powerful ruler in the world. 
And he tells them this is what Pharaoh should do. He should take a fifth, 20% of all of these crops that are going to be harvested during the years of plenty. He should store them away so that people won't starve during the seven years of famine. Pharaoh said, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. Why don't you do it? So he literally takes the ring off his finger. Now today, we sign documents and it's called a signature, right? Well, that comes from signet, a signet ring. So the way they signed a document was they dripped wax on it and that signet ring that had the, the person's personal sign or symbol on it was pressed into the wet wax and the wax dried and that proved that it was something that they had uh, agreed with or had allowed or had ordered. So Pharaoh takes a signet ring off and he said, only in regard to the throne will anyone be more powerful in Egypt than me. So no kidding, this guy goes from being a slave in jail to being the second most powerful man in Egypt. And God uses him to save people's lives, including his brothers, who he should hate, but he doesn't. Now he messes with them for a while. But in the end, that whole group of young people and adults end up coming to Egypt. It was a family of 70 at that point. Um, the, the brothers had told Jacob, the father, Israel, his other name, right, had told him that their brother Joseph had died. They sold him into slavery, but they ripped off the, the beautiful robe that had been made for him, dipped it in some animal blood. They didn't have DNA testing back then, right? And so they brought it to their father. See, is this your son's robe? Well, he'd made it for him. And so uh, he had mourned for many, many years when he thought that Joseph was dead. But now he was told, no, Joseph's alive. He's basically in charge of Egypt. And so the whole family goes to Egypt and they are given this beautiful land called the land of Goshen so that they can um, take care of their families and so that they can uh, be sheep herders, which is what they were. And there's lots of grazing in that area. Well, then we move out of Genesis and we move forward. And at the beginning of Exodus, it says, and then there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Jacob or knew not Joseph, excuse me. And what this means is that now the power, the, the Pharaohs that were in control of Egypt had turned against the people of Israel and actually began to be intimidated by them. They said, this is, this is, you know, have become a growing nation. So what we're going to do is we're going to use them as slaves. We're going to enslave them. And then they went further and they said, you know, we can't let them continue to multiply. We're going to start taking the lives of the firstborn males. No, we're going to take the lives of all the males in, in this, uh, in this nation. And this was their effort to control the population, to control what they saw as a threat to their people, to the Egyptians. Well, the people were enslaved and they started crying out and God raised up Moses. Moses was initially scheduled for execution like all the baby boys, but he was saved. His mom put him in a basket and coated it with pitch so that it would float in the Nile River and floated it down the river. His sister watched very carefully as the that little boat floated down the Nile and one of Pharaoh's daughters went out and plucked it out of the water and saw there was a baby and she had compassion for the baby. I think virtually any woman has compassion when she sees a baby. And if you saw an orphan baby, certainly you would have compassion. Most of you would try to take it home, I know, right? Um, but that's exactly what she did. And, you know, she wasn't, uh, she might not have been old enough, uh, but she wasn't ready to nurse the baby. But of course, 
the mother of the baby was. And in God's providence, this baby, whose name was Moses, Moshi means out of the water, was taken back to his own mother who nursed him until he was weaned. And then he was raised in Pharaoh's court where he actually became an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew, but he was raised as an Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. But he still thought, you know what? I know I, I, I'm a Hebrew and I need to watch out for my people. So he was making the rounds one day and he saw a slave master beating a Hebrew slave. And the scripture says he looked this way and he looked that way and then he killed the guy. Whoa. And then he buried him in the sand. Wow. So this might have been a pretty severe beating. Uh, if you look into the history of slavery, you find that... Uh, when people are slaves, they're treated like property, and often they're treated very, very badly. And slave masters were known to beat people until they were dead. So Moses wasn't just popping off and killing a guy, um, but he was taking things in his own hands, right? He was acting out in the flesh. Well, the word got back to Pharaoh that um, he had done this, that Moses had done this, and Moses hightails it for the backside of the Sinai Desert. And so Moses is 40 years old when he leaves Egypt and he's on the backside of the desert and ends up from being a prince of Egypt, he ends up being a shepherd in the desert for a man uh, that became his father-in-law. He's called Ruel first and later he's called Jethro. Um, and uh, that's where Moses was. That's where he spent his time until he encountered God in the burning bush and God said, I have heard the outcries of my people, and I want you to go back. I'm going to use you to bring them out of Egypt. And Moses initially says, no, I can't do it. I, 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 I don't speak very well. Now, I think a lot of times people have assumed, uh, as you may have assumed, by the way, I just talked, that perhaps Moses had a stuttering problem or something like that. But you know, not everybody can speak in public, can they? And even though Moses was raised in, as a prince of Egypt, he might have been, you know, terrified of, of speaking in public. I also think there's a very good possibility that since Moses was raised in Pharaoh's court, he spoke Egyptian quite well, but his Hebrew might not have been that great. And so he was more concerned about how he would be perceived, not by Pharaoh and Pharaoh's court, but by the people of Israel. I, I can't talk to them. I don't speak their language very well. Okay. So there are a number of you in this room that are bilingual. There's probably of the two languages, or maybe you're trilingual or more. You may feel more confident and more competent speaking one language. Perhaps you're, you know, the language you, you grew up speaking or uh, were more comfortable speaking when you were younger. And the other one, you wouldn't feel so good. So that's possible with Moses. Nonetheless, Moses uh, finally listens to the Lord, comes back to Egypt, and the Lord works these miracles through Moses and brings 10 plagues down upon Pharaoh. And I've already shared with you, Pharaoh hardened his heart and hardened his heart and hardened his heart each time. And then God hardened Pharaoh's heart until the 10th plague when God says, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the firstborn of everyone in Egypt, including the cattle. And the way you, my people, Israel, are going to save yourselves is you're going to observe Passover. You're going to slaughter a lamb. You're going to eat it. You're going to eat unleavened bread with it. That is, you're not going to wait for the, for, uh, for it to 
be, uh, for yeast to be put in it for it to rise. You're going to eat this unleavened bread and you're going to eat this lamb and you're going to take the blood from the lamb and you're going to put it on the lintel and the doorposts of your house. And then the death angel who is taking the life of every firstborn in Egypt will pass over your house. And I told you, according to the scripture, Jesus is our Passover lamb. That's the symbol for us. Jesus was uh, executed on Passover. Very, very powerful symbol. Um, that Passover lamb was pointing to Jesus and that was the primary purpose of it. Well, the people of Israel were immediately ejected from Egypt and they pushed on until they got to the edge of the, the we, we, it's normally translated the Red Sea. The Hebrew is actually the words Yam Suf and it means the Sea of Reeds. So it is unlikely that the Israelites went all the way over to the Red Sea. There are some larger bodies of water that are closer to the Mediterranean. And one of those is called the Sea of Reeds. And it would still have been impossible for thousands of people to cross over that on dry, dry ground. It would have been impossible for the water to uh, come and cover the, the Egyptian chariots as it did without God working. But we should be more accurate. So the people are at the edge of this sea and the Egyptian army is behind them and they don't know what to do and they don't know where to go and they cry out to the Lord. And as I said to you last week, um, God uh, speaks to Moses and speaks through Moses and he says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of your God. And, uh, you know, I, I was not aware of certain things last week to apply that to myself. I've been through situations in the past where, um, you know, I have felt like I was between a rock and a hard place where I was between, you know, the devil and the deep blue sea and I didn't know where to go. I couldn't go this way or that way. I couldn't go backward and there was no way to go forward and I had to cry out to the Lord, right? The Lord says, be still, the Lord will fight for you. That's what he said through Moses. So that's what happened, right? The, the Sea of Reeds opens, the people of Israel cross on dry ground. Um, God moves his presence, this pillar of fire and pillar of cloud that separated between Israel and Egypt moves that out of the way. So Egypt comes chasing Israel into the Sea of Reeds. Israel gets out on the other side. Moses stretches his hand out over the sea. The water comes and covers uh, the Pharaoh's chariots and they are drowned, right? So that brings us all the way to where we are now. You're saying, wow, that was a long introduction. This sermon's going to be long. Don't worry, it won't be. I wanted to bring you up to it. Um, this is <clears throat> Exodus 14, verse 30. So the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And each time it says, Lord, there, that's Yahweh, that's God's personal name. So that happened. And then there's this beautiful song. It's called the Song of Moses and Israel. And I'll let you read that sometime. That's in uh, Exodus 15, beginning with verse 1. Uh, in fact, in uh, Revelation, it says that uh, the, the angels who are going to bring the, the seven last plagues on earth that are the wrath of God sing this Song of Moses. So there's another connection between that and uh, Israel. Nonetheless, they're excited, right? They fear the Lord. They're, it's an amazing miracle. They've seen miracle after miracle. And this is going to be the, what we see with Israel in the wilderness. They see miracle after miracle. And you would assume, and I've heard, heard people say, I'll believe it when I see it. Have you heard anybody say that? I won't get you to raise your hand, but have you said that? 
Well, you would think then that these slaves who got delivered from Egyptian bondage, right, with these powerful signs, these amazing miracles, right? The Nile River gets turned into blood and, you know, uh, frogs and gnats and hail and just all of this craziness happening at the word of Moses each time, okay, until they are actually released from Egyptian bondage. And by the way, they went to their Egyptian masters, all of these slaves, and asked for them to give them gold and silver and jewelry. And they did. They said, here, here, take it. Get out of here. Right? Be on your way. We don't want you around here anymore. So they didn't go away empty-handed. They went away pretty well off. Okay? So now, you know, all of these things have happened. They get to the other side of the the Yom Suf, and then they start going into the wilderness. All right? This is uh, Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, or the Yom Suf, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Okay. Now, this doesn't mean that they didn't have water after three days. But if you're in the desert and you're running out of water, how are you going to feel? Yeah, it's kind of scary, all right? I grew up in the desert, not the Sinai Desert, but the Sonoran Desert, and I had opportunities when I was younger. Used to, I used to love to go out and ride my bike. And we lived right on the edge of the desert desert. And I'd go out there and ride on all the trails and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, man, I, there were some times when I came back, I was so thirsty, I can't even begin to tell you how thirsty I was. I remember one time I'm coming back, and I had been out riding my bike with my friends and jumping berms and doing all this stuff. And I'm coming back, and I was so thirsty, and there was a sprinkler that was on in this yard. And I was like, oh, Water, right? Right all the way back. So I can understand how these people felt, right? It says, when they came to, to Mara, say Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara because they were bitter. For that reason, it was named Mara. Well, th- these waters were not called Mara before. They encountered them, and they called them Mara because the Hebrew word for bitter is Mara, Okay. Um, there's another instance of this uh, in the book of Ruth when Naomi uh, goes to the, uh, the, the Moabite land and marries a man and then has two sons and they marry two daughters and then her husband dies and then her two sons dies and the one of her daughters-in-law, whose name is Ruth, comes back to Israel with her and they say, oh, Naomi, you're back. We're so excited. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara because her life had been bitter. I wonder, are you feeling like that? Hmm, I don't know, okay. So they called it Mara, this is verse 24. So the people grumbled at Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and he threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet. So we don't know that the, this bitter water was poisonous. It just tasted really bad. Have you ever had to drink really bad tasting water? Yeah, sometimes in Garland, right? Like you turn on the tap, you don't have your bottled water or whatever, it comes out and it's got kind of a funny color to it. And you drink it and you're like, wow, that's really bad, okay? Because we get our water from the lake. (laughs) And when the lake gets low, it tastes like the bottom of the lake, okay? It doesn't taste, but it's not gonna kill you. At least we hope not, right? So the people grumbled at Moses saying, what are we to drink? Verse 25, then he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and he threw it in the waters and the waters became sweet. 
There he made for them a statute. He is God, made for them a statute and a regulation. There he tested them. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I'm going to give you the, the statute and regulation here in just a second. But I want you to see that the children of Israel were tested as they traveled through the wilderness. That's what happened the whole time they were in the wilderness. The wilderness is about being tested. What is the wilderness about? When you're in the desert, the desert's not bad. The desert's not ugly. The desert is difficult. I wonder if you're in the desert right now. Some people have said to me, and perhaps I've even said at times, you know, I'm, I'm feeling kind of dry right now. I'm feeling spiritually dry. Well, that's the desert. But the desert is the place for testing. And in this test, this bitter water was made sweet. Throughout the wilderness experience, the children of Israel, we're going to see this again and again. Throughout the wilderness experience, the children of Israel grumbled again and again at Moses, at Aaron, at God. They grumbled. Uh, the, some older translations will use the word murmur. I like that word. Do you like that word? All right, so on the count of three, I want everybody that can hear me in this room to say the word murmur four times, okay? One, two, three. You see? You see what it sounds like? These people are murmuring and they're grumbling. Oh, I just can't stand this. It's awful. It had been three days since they saw one of the greatest miracles in the world, and now they're grumbling. Well, I don't have any water. You can't trust the God who divided the Red Sea to give you water? And then they found water, and it's, it doesn't taste good. This is yucky. Kids, have you ever been like that? Yuck, I don't want to eat that. It doesn't taste good. It's yucky. Well, the Lord showed him what to do. The, the Lord showed Moses what to do, right? And he said, you know, here's this tree, and I want you to throw it in the water. And Moses obeyed, and the water became sweet. Well, I don't know if that was just like a total sheer miracle, Oh, whether there was some, there's some natural explanation for why this particular tree, when it's thrown into the water, makes it taste sweeter. One way or the other, though, I think, and we're going to see this, and you'll see why I think this as I read these next verses, that the people were afraid to drink the water when they tasted that it was bitter. Because really, you can't just drink any water when you're out in the wilderness. You really can't. Okay? If you come to some, like, little pond or whatever, man, it can have all kinds of nasty stuff in it. Um... You know, I, you know, we've got creeks out here, right, running, running around Garland. Please don't drink the water out of those. I mean, there's some seriously nasty bacteria in that. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense that they were afraid of getting sick. That's why they cried out uh, to Moses. They grumbled and Moses cried out to the Lord, right? And then the Lord uh, responds back. This is the second half of verse 25. Um, there the Lord made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, that is the Lord said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and listen to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, am your healer. Amen? So we just came out of this big pandemic, right? People responded differently to it, didn't they? But in the end, 
who were you trusting through that to be your healer? All right? Some of us, you know, we, we get sick rarely. Others of us get sick occasionally. Others of us get sick often. But when you are sick, this doesn't mean don't go to the doctor. This doesn't mean don't get a shot, right? This doesn't mean don't take medicine. But who do you trust to be your healer? You need to be wise about That's right. We trust God. You need to be wise about your body at all times. Whether there's a raging pandemic with all kinds of different opinions about it, or whether it's just something common like a headache or a cold or you know, the flu or whatever. Nonetheless, uh, we need to trust the Lord because he's promised right here that he will be our healer. Say, the Lord is my healer. The Lord is my healer. All right. So what is our part? Well, friends, our part is to pay attention to the Lord. Honestly, you know, a big part of obeying the Lord when it concerns healing is taking care of your body. Now, when we're younger, I mean, we just eat anything and everything that tastes good, right? Whether it's healthy or not, we don't care. I mean, some of you kids, you would eat candy 24 hours a day if your parents let you. And it wouldn't be healthy for you, right? Um, you know, you need to eat a balanced diet. You can't just eat candy bars all the time. Right? You know, you can't just eat cookies all the time. Well, I don't like that other stuff. Well, learn to like it because we need to be healthy. Those of us that are older, we're like, well, I'm an adult now. I don't have to adhere by all of those regulations. And we get concerned about things like how we look, our physical appearance, right? Well, when you lose a few pounds or, you know, you might be a younger guy who's, you know, uh, going through a growth spurt and he's kind of skinny and he wants to put on some pounds and, you know, get muscular or whatever. Listen, this is all about what you do with your body. But I'm going to trust God to take care of me by paying attention to him. When you trust, you will obey. When you trust, you will what? Obey. Right? There's an old hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's what we need to do. Will you trust God to make your bitter water sweet? So let's move away from health and spread that out to a broader application. What are some issues you're facing that are bitter, that are, you know, represent your bitter water? Um, and what are you doing about it? Well, the Lord's promise is that he will help us and he will heal us, but we need to trust him and we need to obey him. Um, the reality is, not all sickness is the result of sin. But all sin adversely impacts you, and that means it adversely impacts your health. Okay, so I'm going to give you one example, and this just comes out of my personal life. You have other issues, right? Um, I have struggled with anger my whole life, right? I'm just, I'm a natural fighter. That's what I do. And it doesn't matter what it is, I'm always fighting it. If I get hurt, I don't cry. It makes me mad. I want to hit that. Whatever that is, it's hurting me. And even though I don't know what it is, okay? Uh, until recent years, I always had an easy time sleeping. Anybody else like me having a hard time staying asleep at night, okay? So the other night, uh, this has been two or three nights ago, this is a perfect example for this as an anecdote in any event. I'm awake. And here you've been laying there, and you're like, I really, really want to go to sleep now. Now, 
Now I want to go to sleep. I want to go to sleep now! Well, of course, that outburst causes cortisol and adrenaline to shoot through your body, and now you're not going to get to sleep at all. So maybe you're not like that. Maybe you're peaceful. You're like, I'm going to sleep now. And eventually you do, right? But I'm telling you, I was awake until 4 o'clock in the morning, man. I was not getting to sleep. You know, I'll, I'll take uh, uh, Benadryl, right? It's allergy medicine, but it makes you, makes you drowsy. That didn't do any good. So I finally went in and I got this herbal tea and I calmed down and I finally got about two hours worth of sleep. But it reminded me how anger, as an example, uh, can be bitter and can have an adverse impact on your health. This is, there's a mind-body connection there. Um, a flash of temper or a fit of rage can cause a spike in blood pressure and can cause someone to get a stroke or a heart attack, especially if they're my age. So again, I'm pointing at me. You apply this to you as it is appropriate to you, okay? Um, but uh, if you have chronic anger, okay? Not acute, these acute flare-ups, okay? You know, a fit of rage, an outburst, those are terrible. But just this brooding, long, bitter anger. You think, well, I'm keeping it under control. Nobody sees, right? This is interesting. When we're under a lot of stress, that's a very broad term, right? When we're striving, when we're angry, when we're under a lot of external stress, when we put ourselves under stress, maybe you're performance-oriented and you're not performing as you would like to perform, and it, and it upsets you. But when you're under constant stress, there is a hormone that your body releases called cortisol. Say cortisol. cortisol. Okay? And this hormone is necessary, but like anything, when you have too much of it, it is unhealthy. So uh, I looked at a number of websites to remind myself of what goes on when you have a constant excess of cortisol. It's an adrenal hormone, right? That means your, adre your adrenal glands release it. Doesn't matter if you're a kid, if you're an adult, if you're older, okay, your adrenal glands release cortisol. When that happens all the time and you just have this constant flow of cortisol coming through your body, here are some of the side effects. Weight gain, especially in your face and abdomen. Muscle weakness in your upper arms and thighs. High blood sugar, which often turns into type 2 diabetes. High blood pressure. Weak bones, osteoporosis and fractures. Fatigue sleeplessness, impaired healing and cell regeneration, disrupted digestion and metabolism, disrupted mental function, function, brain fog, weakened ability to fight infection, imbalances in other important hormones such as DHEA, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. This is why I want you to understand this doesn't have to be, I sin, now God is punishing me with sickness. This is just the way things work. When we obey the Lord, when we trust and when we obey, moment by moment throughout the day, then he will give us the capacity to overcome and to go through things. So with Moses, he showed him a tree to throw into the bitter water, right? What is the tree that the Lord would show you? What is the name of our church? Life well. And that comes from a scripture. And in that scripture, the Lord was addressing a woman who was rejected by her community because of her her bad habits. Um, she'd been with many men. She'd been married many times and she'd had a very difficult life and they weren't very kind to her. And so she was 
at this water well in the middle of the day when it was hot, when no other women would be there, and Jesus was there. And Jesus said, if you know who was speaking to you, and you asked him, he would give you living water. And she said, where, where do you get this living water? You, you don't even have anything to get water out of this well. And Jesus said, the water that I will give will become in you a well of water springing up to everlasting life. Amen. Are you saved? Yes. Yes. Are you saved? Yes. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the presence of God living in you. And at any moment throughout the day, you will have a choice to have a mindset on yourself or a mindset on the Spirit. When I have a mindset on myself, that's the flesh, that's the natural. And inevitably and invariably, I'm going to be frustrated. Now, again, I'm talking about me. But hopefully you'll apply this to you. Right? I get mad at this and I get mad at that. And I get, you know, when I read the news and I get mad at those people. Right? And it's just, I don't, you don't know how to act. You don't know how to react. You don't know how to respond. There are so many bad things going on. And how do we deal with all of that? Well, I've got to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to me. He's a real abiding presence. Now, if you don't sense that, if you don't know that, call out to the Lord. Ask him to fill you. Ask him to give you the ability to have peace and to overcome, to have the peace of God that surpasses understanding, right? Um, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses under it doesn't make any sense with everything that's going on in your life. For everything that's going on in the world, being at peace makes no sense. That's why everybody's so mad. Everybody's so frustrated. There's so much striving going on, and it's killing us, friends. It's killing us. And if this is something you're dealing with, it is affecting the people around you as well. Has anybody ever been to the dump? In Garland, you go to the transfer station. Anybody ever been to the transfer station? All right. So I got this truck. And I had all this stuff, and I've got more stuff in storage I've got to do this with. I got this stuff, I put it in the back of the truck, and I drive up, and you drive up this long incline, and you go up into this deal, and the guy looks at you and says, all right, what do you got in the back there? All right, go over there, and back up there. And so you back up, okay? And I mean, it stinks in there, buddy. It stinks bad in there. Like, I can just feel it on me, and there's like flies. Okay? You know, I push the... Push the stuff out of my truck, get back in my truck, and drive off. And my truck smells like the dump. And my clothes smell like the dump. Even though I've only been there for like 10 minutes. Right? You see, what you expose yourself to, it gets into you, doesn't it? And it has an impact on you, but now you get around other people, what happens? They smell it too. Now, I, I try not to grind on people about habits, right? But if you smoke, we can smell it, even when you're not smoking. I love garlic. Anybody else love garlic? 
But did you know if you eat garlic all the time, your skin starts to smell like garlic? It does. Okay. I really like uh, the, the Indian spice curry. Does anybody else like curry? Oh, man, I love it. But if you eat it a lot, it comes through your pores and you start to smell like it. Are you following me here? You get the example? When I have this constant chronic anger and striving going on, it's coming off of you like waves, man. It's affecting the other people around you. And if you wonder why when you walk through the room, nobody's smiling at you, you might not be smiling. People may look at you and go, oh, don't get around them. Because you got the waves of anger. Go ahead. Go ahead, smile at me. I dare you, right? That's why I love during the pandemic, you know, everybody's like wearing their masks and I would try to catch somebody's eye, you know, so I could get a little head nod or whatever and they would do this. Like they were going to get COVID through my eyes. <laughs> we affect other people that are around us, okay? Um, so if you will turn away from your bitterness and anger and turn toward the Lord, then he will lead you to an oasis of rest. All right. So the Israelites were told, and we'll see this next week when we look at manna from heaven, but the Israelites were told that they should rest every, seven, every seventh day. We're not off the hook there. We should rest. We need times of rest. Okay. And at the end of this experience where the people drank some water after a couple of days of being without it and it was bitter, um, then it says that Moses led them on, and this is verse 27 of chapter 15 of Exodus. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. I pray for you to have an Elim. You need a place to rest where there are 12 clear springs and 70 date palms, and you can have peace. But bear in mind, if you're in the wilderness right now, if you're in the desert right now, it's a test. And you can overcome because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. See, in the end, you just need to have a little bit of faith. Amen? We need to put our faith in Jesus. He's our healer. He's our savior. He's the one that brings the Holy Spirit into our life. And so I would encourage you, as we conclude our service, to call out to the Lord, to ask him, say, Lord, I'm struggling right now. Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to help me to overcome. I need you to give me your peace that surpasses understanding. Jesus, I put my faith in you. Lead me and I will follow in Jesus' name.